Hey, it's Bob Stoffer. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Oilers Now ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer, weekdays at noon on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. We return to Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. Brought to you by Digitex. Service for all brands of print equipment in your office? Yeah, Digitex does that. D I G I T E X dot C A. On Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. We're good. All right, welcome back, everybody. Bob Stoffer joining you. Uh, I'm in Boston. See Oilers and the Boston Bruins. We'll have a City Ford face-off show today, 3.30 Edmonton time with uh, Reed Wilkins, uh, Rob Brown, Jack Michaels, and myself. And uh, we are going to head to what has fast become a very popular uh, feature here in Oilers now. Uh, longtime NHL executive now with NHL Hockey and Rogers and Sportsnet, Brian Burke, presented by Canadian Power Pack, Alberta's leader in electrical construction and service, Canadian Power Pack, electrical prefabrication and solar. Brian, how you doing? Good, Bob. How are you? Uh, not bad, and looking forward to some hockey because uh, one, you know, we've been out of Edmonton now for 12 days, and the team's only played one regular season game. And I wanted to open up during during the course of your management career. How many times did you end up uh, heading over to Europe or Asia with teams? Twice. Well, I went with uh, we did training camp in uh, 2000. And, and, and yeah, fall of 2000, I think, in uh, Stockholm. And, uh, yeah, that would have been it because we named Marcus and I was my captain while we were there. So we did uh, two games against Moto, I think it was, or one game against AIK and one game against Moto, and then came back. And then after we won the Cup in 07, the league sent us to London, England, to play two regular season games against the LA Kings. Did, uh, how did you like? How did you find those uh, uh, trips? Because I, I'm going. I'm trying to think back to Vancouver uh, in '99, 2000, and of course you, you made the one day. We'll get you to explain how you got the two seeds and the various machinations that went on there. But you had different types of teams. Uh, you know, Vancouver in 2000 versus Anaheim in uh, 2007. But just an over any sort of consistent themes with both clubs that ended up going over that uh, you can look back upon and and sort of highlight. Well, we both teams, we enjoyed it. The, I made a huge mistake the second time. So in the fall of 07, when we played in London, I asked the league to, to play four games on the East Coast when we came back. <laughs> I wanted to knock off four games. You basically got 40 home games. I mean, I know yeah. the right number is 41. You basically got 40 home games. If you can knock them off in groups of four or have a one at two and one at six, but somehow get down to ten road trips, you're laughing. No one ever does it, but that's the goal. So I requested that we start. We, when we go all the way east, we'd like to play six times. So if we're like the Edmonton Oilers and we fly all the way to Boston tonight, I know they came from England but or uh, Europe. But we, when we go that far east, we want six games. We want to knock off six games. And people will b- not believe that, but it's true. The minimum we want to play is four. So we said four games. Three of them ended up being home openers, and we got spanked in three of them. I think we won one. And I remember Randy Carlisle thought, Randy's a good guy and he's a good coach. And he said, this is stupid. We're going we're gonna to play teams in their home openers. We're going to get spanked. And, and we did. So, uh, But the, the experience itself, fatigue, yes, there's real fatigue. You can't travel that many time zones and not feel fatigue. 
But our experience was most of the players by the fourth day were feeling fine. They said the first day back they were a little disoriented. Second day back they got they felt better for a while. They got a little burst of energy and then it got worse. Third day was the worst. Then the fourth day they started feeling normal. So uh, I you know it does great things for the league. It builds a brand around the league, around the world. Um, I do think the day will come when we have a division in Europe. So I think these things are important for the league, and and that's as a league executive, as a team executive, but also as a GM and worried about the competitive effect, I didn't think it had a negative competitive effect, a a major one. In fact, the Stockholm trip, we were introducing a new captain. It was the first year without Mark Messier, and actually the team bonding was fantastic. We only took 23 guys. Right. Well, uh, the owners took geez off. They took 24 over to yeah. uh, Germany, Sweden. Uh, they got drilled in uh, Sweden, uh, and maybe Edmonton had too easy of a preseason again. They went six and two last year, Brian. Seven and one in preseason. Six and one in preseason this year, uh, and then ended up uh, playing New Jersey. And Jersey was on their horse. Uh, to me, they weren't as deep a team as they had last year, but they smoked the Oilers. The Oilers' D-man were meat on a stick, and the New Jersey forwards were hunting in that game. And Edmonton was throttled for large portions of it. So they're looking for a rebound, and like you did, they're looking for a rebound out east. And uh, Yeah, and, they get and they're playing a good team, too. They're playing Boston's a deep hockey club, uh, but uh, so I, I don't think there's any question. Definitely, the bonding experience works, and you totally understand why the Oilers wanted to continue the trip out east here, knock off a couple games in the process. Yeah, and I, I wish I wish Pete had called me because I would have told him it's a mistake. But uh, it's that's what I thought too. Is look, we got to go out. The Western teams have it so tough; they got to go so far to play so few games. Sometimes, I mean. Uh, my last year in Calgary, we the league flew us to Toronto and Montreal back to back weekdays. wasn't even hockey night, and so we played I think a Wednesday night in Toronto, Thursday night in Montreal, all the way home to Alberta. Played one home game and then went out and played Minnesota one game and flew back. It's a two and a half hour flight, two and a half hour flight to St. Paul. It was ridiculous. So, and I think I, I have a real quarrel with the league. I think there's a better way to do the schedule, but. Um, no, I, this, I hope this experiment works. I hope the Oilers find their feet. I will tell you this. Listening to you talk, Bob, and listening, reading the clips, and, and by the way, if you, if you think I care about this radio segment, my Wi-Fi is busted here. I had to go up to Starbucks today and sit in there for an hour and read all the clips like some starving artist or something. <laughs> so, but you read the clips, and, and they, should just, they should cancel the season for the Edmonton Oilers after that one game. The doom and gloom is unbelievable. Now, that's the beauty of, of working in Canada, that people love the game, but you get way more credit than you should when you win. You get way more blame and way more panic than you should when you lose. That's one game. I think because the team has missed the playoffs 11 of the last 12 years, Brian, that's why they've jumped them early. Like, yeah. if Edmonton made playoffs, you know, seven of the last nine years and gone two rounds last year, the first game, if they, you know, laid a stink bomb, and they laid a stink bomb in New Jersey. The yeah, but the right. don't say, I, I, I think you're right, Bob. That's probably why. But I will tell you this. New Jersey was probably the most surprising team in the league for me last year. I think John Hines should have been considered for Coach of the Year. Their quickness... And their gap, they are on you so fast. They, you get the puck, and there's someone on you, and there's a secondary layer behind him. And I felt uh, the last two years under, under John Hines, when we played them, they were extremely well coached. No panic, great gap, great pressure. 
and they're a little hostile too. They're they're not when they get a chance to hit you, they really take advantage of it. So I don't think there's any shame in losing to the New Jersey Devils. No, and the Oilers got the snot knocked out of them in that game. By the way, you mentioned Marcus Naslin, and I'm going to draw a parallel to yes, a play derby because somebody else did that I talked to in the league, and like you, he's a former manager in the league, and I spoke to him earlier today, and he said Edmonton has to be careful with Paul Yarby or they'll end up uh, in a scenario like you know, the Penguins did. And, and Did you make that deal for uh, Alex Stoyanov, or did that precede you? I wish I could take credit for that deal, but that was Pat. The late, great Pat Quinn made that deal, and it might have been, and Pat made a lot of great trades, but that might have been his best. And, it, it, you know, it, it, not every player has that concert upward trajectory during the course of his career. And in Yessie's case, and, and Brian, I learned this because I'll be, you know, I've been all over, you know, I'm near 11 now doing color. Uh, so, and travel did the, you know, the WHL and the, the, the university beat for years before that all over North America. But I've never been to Europe, and it was an adjustment for me going to Germany and Sweden with the simplest of things. So I can't imagine what it would be like for a kid coming, basically a farm kid from Finland coming over to North America, trying to pick up on the nuance of North American society, changing the diet. And and, and that's why, again, our fans are tired in Edmonton, Brian, of hearing patience, patience, patience. The Oilers next to the, the Anaheim Ducks have the youngest team in the NHL right now. Edmonton has the second youngest team in the NHL. But I do think patience is needed with Pulley Arby. And I look to Marcus Naslin as an illustration of what happens when you give up too early on a guy. And not, not just that. Look at the Sedins. They didn't come over their draft year, and they were they came over and they're statistically impotent for two years, and even in the third year, just decent numbers. They didn't start to put up big numbers till their fifth year after they were drafted. So there are plenty of examples. I will tell you this: Puyi Arvey's draft year, we absolutely loved him in Calgary. We had no question that he had star potential. No question he was going to play. None. Zero. I told Pete that last year. I, I bumped into Pete in, uh, in Bakersfield, and we were watching, and Pooley Arby was awful. Like, if you guys think he's coming slow now, you should have seen him in the minors last year. I told our guys, this kid might not ever play. Might not ever play. And then I watch him in the games in Europe, because I watch both games. He's come a mile. He's come a mile. they got to be patient with him. Yeah, absolutely. Another area that requires patience is defense. Dale Talon has a line, you know, he needs 300 games before you know what you got. You uh, you pulled off the double whammy when you got Niedermeyer to commit to you through, uh, and Rob Niedermeyer helped you on that front, and then you traded, obviously, for Chris Pronger. But it ain't easy trying to get one, because in my mind, there's only 15 or so true number one defensemen in the NHL, and defense take a long time. It is tough to acquire D, isn't it? It's very tough. If you don't draft them, you've got to, I mean, you can sign the odd free agent, but teams like Dowdy and, you know, Carlson just got traded, but their plan was to lock him up. Teams lock up those top guys now, so it's very hard to trade for them. So if you don't draft them, the price tag to get one of a top two defenseman is a top two forward, not a top three forward, a top two forward. So it's a Taylor Hall for Adam Marson. It's a uh, Seth Jones for Ryan Johansson. I, you're talking the cost is prohibitive. You can get them, but it costs you. You, you net out positionally maybe, but the cost, you're not ever going to win on a trade like that because the guy you trade is going to come back in and haunt you as a forward. So it, it can be done, but basically you got to draft them. Yeah, and that, I mean, it has come back and haunted Edmonton with Taylor Hall, right? I mean, let's face it, Adam Larson is what he is. He's, uh, he's a good player. You know, he's, 
he's a good player, but is he an elite puck mover? No. So he's boxed out of being a number one. You can make an argument. He could be a number two if you have an elite puck mover with him. He played pretty well with Ekman Larson in the Worlds last year, Brian. But yes, as it is. stands right now, the Oilers probably have, you know, three second-pairing D-men between uh, Nurse, Larson, and Clefbaum. What do you think of those three guys, by the way? Well, I thought, I thought Darnell Nurse took a big step last year. I mean, like much of the team, maybe it was illusory. Maybe it was just, you know, Cam Talbot had this magical year, and maybe Darnell's step was illusory. Maybe it was just a temporary thing. I don't think so, though, because my impression of him when he first came in was, and I, I happened to meet him last year, and what a nice kid. But my impression of him was big, tough, skate-like health, really skate, but his hockey sense was only fair. His reads were only fair. His adjustments were only fair. I saw a big step up last year. I thought he turned into a, a good defenseman, a guy who could use penalty killing and the odd little power play time. You could put him in a, in a shutdown role if you wanted to. I thought he took a big step last year. I don't know if you agree or not. Who, who are the other ones you want to ask me about? Uh, well, you, you spoke about Larson. What about Clefbaum? What are your thoughts on him? Uh, I can't decide what he is some nights. Um, there's some nights I love him. There's some nights I don't like him at all. There's some nights I think he's showing some offense and, and his puck moving is really good. Other nights he seems did so he seems um, immobile and, and not quick to move the puck. So I think it's in my mind the jury's out or he's woefully inconsistent. But he can play some good games and he has for them. We're joined by Brian Burke, Bob Stoffer in Boston. Brian, of course, with NHL hockey on Rogers. So sometimes you're right, sometimes you're wrong. So we'll have a little fun here, Brian, a little bit of a curveball. But can you name a guy where you weren't sure uh, about taking or picking when you know when you were managing the team and your head scout came to you and said, hey, we got to take this guy, and he turned out to be an absolute home run? And conversely, was there a guy you thought was a stone-cold mortal lock who didn't end up, uh, you know what, a drop out there. Nothing ever happened with the guy. Never panned out at the because uh, you know, hey, I'm in the prediction business doing a show like this. I've been wrong lots over the years. I've been wrong in every argument I've ever had with my wife. I can tell you that. But <laughs> from a from a hockey perspective, you know, is when you look back at your career, where you're like, I was sure that guy was going to be a player, and he never went anywhere. And conversely, was there a guy you thought, I don't know about that guy, and he turned out to be a hell of a player. Well, how much time do we have? You got two hours? What I mean, I, I, I've been wrong so many times. And I mean, and if you're going to go back and fault the the lack of, if they're going to fault the Oilers for lack of drafting that top defenseman or getting the draft right, yeah. you can't pin, pin most of that on Peter Shirelli. He hasn't been there for most of the decisions right. that haven't worked out, and he's made some good ones. So that, you know, the notion that... And that's what I said when I got to Calgary. They said, we haven't made the playoffs in eight years. And I said, folks, I just got here. My clock's different than yours. I'm measuring my success from when I got here. You're measuring it back another six, seven years. Guess what? I'm not on your clock. So same thing with Pete. He shouldn't have any blame for what happened before he got there. But anyway, I've been wrong. Well, you're, you're drafting 18-year-olds, even in the first round. You're, the percentage rate of guys that play 200 games is only somewhere around 35%, I think. Second round's 20%. So your odds are stacked badly against you for, again, it varies where you pick in the round. Top 10 is very different than bottom 10 in the first round. But you're in a lousy set of odds as you step to the podium. As you go to the mic, the chances are you're going to draft a player that underperforms. 
So I've been wrong on lots of guys. Uh, we drafted Jason Herter. He had a medical issue, turns out, never played. I think he would have been a really good player. He's a good coach now. Um, we drafted, oh, geez, Alex Stoyanov. We had Alex Stoyanov. Pat Quinn loved Alex Stoyanov, loved him, and our scouts did too. We, we had a fight over where to take him, but um, Alex Stoyanov was a good kid and had, you know, he played a couple of years, but. But uh, I'll give you a better answer when I get a chance to think about it. But I've been dead wrong on tons of guys. I'll tell you where you guys were right. And it was the Nadar for several organizations. And that was the 03 draft. You guys were right twice. You got Getzlaff. And even guys in Calgary were slagging Getzlaff down there in that draft year. And uh, and then you got Corey Perry. So you got one guy off the top of my head, I think, at 19 and one guy at 28. I right, mean, and, and and I would love to take credit for those two players, but Brian Murray drafted them. Right, Brian Murray. So there you go. Yep. So That's the year you before I got there. So I can't, I mean, out. okay, I hit on the Twins, but I think there were four years in Vancouver. I want to say from 2000 to 2004 that I didn't draft one player that played for the Canucks. A couple of them played elsewhere, but I think four drafts I missed completely. And again, our scouting staff missed as much as I missed, but no, this the, the, every GM in the Hall of Fame has had spectacular busts in the draft, has had trades that went horribly wrong. That because if you don't sw- if you don't swing for the fence, you're gonna, you're never going to strike out, but you're never going to hit a home run either. And you, you can't live in the shadows and just be timid. Sometimes you got to step up, and and that's I got asked last night on TV, would you have done what Ottawa did? Would you have picked Brady Kachuk, or would you have played safe and kept the pick? And I said I would have picked. There's a player there you love. The draft class in the next year is weaker than this year. You don't know what your team's going to do. And by the way, what's the message to your players? We are confident we're going to suck, so we're going to keep that pick for next year. We'll, let, we'll trade this one away. So, uh, you know, we, we have to step out, out of the shadows, make these decisions at the podium, announce the pick. We're right, we're wrong, we live with the consequences. It's real easy for the people who don't have to step up to the mic. I tell people this all the time. Anyone can walk on a two-by-four if you leave it on the ground. You put it up four stories and see how many people want to walk on that two-by-four. That's a beautiful analogy. Brian, love the energy. We're going to do this again every week. Uh, we'll see how the Oilers do. This is uh, they got three games here. New, they, they play Boston, then into the Rangers for an afternoon game. Fly back to Edmonton, then back out to Winnipeg. Tough schedule to start the season. We'll hook up next Thursday when Edmonton's got a return engagement with the Bruins in Edmonton. Okay, Bob. Thank you. Thanks for your time. That is longtime NHL executive Brian Burke. It's 3.51. We'll take time out. This is Oilers Now. This is Oscar Platform from your Edmonton Oilers, and you're listening to Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer on 6.30 Shed. 155 in Edmonton, Royal Pizza, Pizza Pass, and so much more. Edmonton owned and operated for 49 years. For menu locations, visit royalpizza.ca and download the Royal Pizza app from the App Store. Brian Burke's appearance is courtesy of Canadian Power Pack, Alberta's leader in electrical construction and service, and guess what? You love them. Lots of texts coming in. Uh, Val, Jack, thanks, for everybody, for sending us messages on uh, Brian's appearance on the show. To this day, New West uh, Travel Oilers history. New West Travel's Edmonton's premier travel company for 30 
38 years. Book your winter group vacation package with New West Travel and receive free parking at Value Park at Edmonton International Airport. Go online at newwesttravel.com for all your vacation dreams. Here's Brendan Escott, this day in Oilers history. In 1972, the Oilers began life in the WHA with a 7-4 road victory over the Ottawa Nationals. At that time, they were known as the Alberta Oilers. From what I can tell, it was the only season they were known as that. Ron Anderson scored the first goal in franchise history. Bob? Brian Hall was the first play-by-play voice. Rod Phillips took over the year after. That's just day in Oilers history for New West Travel. A reminder about the Oilers now road trips through newwesttravel.com. We're going to Vegas and Nashville this year. We'll have the City Ford Face-Off show at 3.30 today with Reed Wilkins. Puck drop at 5 p.m. Tomorrow, Sportsnet's Elliot Friedman. Off to a news weather traffic update with Eileen Bell, followed by the 6.30 Chet Afternoon News with Jalen I and Andrew Gross. Talk to you at 3.30, everybody. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. Weekdays at noon on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad.